Welcome to the Bible Live Quiz Hour. It's time to test and grow your knowledge of the Bible. The entire Bible every year. On Sunday nights at 9, join us here for the Bible Live Quiz Hour. Sophie will ask questions from the Bible Live leads. You call in with the correct answers and you win. It's just that simple. So get out your Bible, put on your thinking cap, and hit that speed dial. Because here's the host of the Bible Live. Your Apache Indian scout through the book of books, Sophie Dollar. Are we in the house here, John? <laughs> there we are. I now guess we hear house. each other. Sure, <laughs> we are. Welcome aboard, everyone. Thanks for joining us. This is The Bible Live. This is Soapy and Stacy right here alongside. We're glad to be with you as we make as we continue our way now through the Bible. We are uh, just beginning a brand new year, a brand new journey through the Scriptures. This is our 20th time. Wow. Stacy Loreen, this is our... <laughs> that's easy. So you started in 2000. Yeah, that's wrong. Long time ago. And uh, we've been going through the Bible every year. And you are glad to have you with us. Now, what we're doing, instead of reading the Bible on the radio Monday through Friday, we invite you to go to our podcast, to our website, thebiblelive.com, thebiblelive.com. Dot com or just BibleLive.com. Either one will get you to the same website. And there you can go to our podcast and you can hear uh, the entire Bible is there. If you, depending on what program you choose, uh, we start in the first week of November, around the first of November every year with the book of Genesis. And we go from there all the way through the Old and New Testaments together. We have our own individual reading schedule that we make our way through the entire Bible every year. And come around this time next year, we'll be starting again uh, another time through the Bible. But right now we have just begun. We had our first week uh, through the Scriptures. Last week we read Genesis chapters 1 through 21. And then this past week, we read Genesis chapters 21 through 36. So that's what we'll be discussing tonight. What we do on Sunday night then is we we discuss and take your phone calls, your questions, your uh, opinions and thoughts and your commentary about the Bible, about the passages that we read this week or any other passage of interest to you. If you'd like to give us a call, what we're trying to do, you folks, is give you... A, uh, whether you're a brand new believer just beginning to grow in the Lord and getting to know the Lord, or you're a one who's known the Lord many, many years and you're growing and want to understand more and more uh, this great, amazing, astounding book that God has made possible for us to have, this record of God's involvement in, in people's lives over the last three, four thousand years, uh, then you can give us a, a, a listen and go along with us through the scriptures, learn with us, contribute with us as we make our way through the Bible every year. And so I, I really encourage you to join with us. And if you're not already reading through the Bible, the entire Bible every year, come along and join with us. Uh, listen every week. Five times a week, you can go and hear the five readings for this coming week. They'll be put on the website tonight. They'll show up, uh, Genesis chapter 36, on through the, the rest of the book. 
um, of the book of Genesis. Then we'll go right into Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and then we'll switch and run over to the New Testament just in time for Christmas, and we'll be reading the Christmas story from the Gospel of Matthew uh, in the New Testament. Then we'll come back to Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, then back to the Gospel of Mark. So that's the way we do it. We kind of alternate back and forth between the Old and the New Testaments and give you a chance to hear every verse, every chapter, every book of the Bible every year. And then here on Sunday nights, we get a chance to talk about it with you, to go over it, review what we read this past week, and uh, kind of give some commentary and thought uh, as the Lord would leave us and lead you as you call in to be a part of the program. The phone number is 210-340-9585. 210-340-9585. You can give us a call uh, and join us on the air here and share your thought, your question your perspective, uh, and maybe even some of your own experience with this great book, the Bible. All right, that's where we are, Stace. Uh, This week has been really demanding. We get into talking about, uh, well, let's review a bit where we've been. Um, You want to do that? Take us from creation, Adam and Eve, (laughs) Garden of Eden, Cain and Abel, Seth, and then the history. The I think you just did gene- it. <laughs> I'm doing it. <laughs> so. Then the genealogies and so on. T- but kind of add your own kind of touch to where we've been so far. Okay. Well, I th- well, I mean, uh, just the macro is. This is one of my favorite. Um, it is the beginning, and w- I will talk a little bit of about C.S. Lewis a little later. But one of my favorite. Um, kind of principles that he brought to mind is sort of that seek ye first the kingdom of God, but how he said it was you um, put first things first and you only get second things. A lot of times we want money or we want happiness or we want um, all of these good Mm -hmm. things, Mm -hmm. but they are second things. And the only way you'd get second things is by putting first things first. And if you put second things first, you lose out on not only those second things, but also, well, also first the things. first things. All right. <laughs> and so, is anyway. that akin to that? What's that saying that comes around now and again? We hear it from time to time. Making, make sure you to make the main thing the main thing. Sure, right. Yeah. Keeping the main yeah. thing the main thing. Yeah. Is that the idea? I okay. think so. It's probably had a, a, its way and said a lot of different ways. But um, mm-hmm. I just love how Lewis said that. I think it's from um, his essay, God in the Dock, and some of his essays is where he talks about that. But um, and so then you would ask, well, what was, what is the first thing? How, how do I put first, what, what is that then would be the next question. Okay, that That's makes sense. That's some of what we're trying to draw attention to in the book of Genesis, right. isn't it? Those and first so, things. Right, and very literally, uh, it's just why I love um, Genesis so much, because very in the beginning. What is the first thing? Well, that's pretty easy. It's Genesis. It is who was here first, who, who is first thing. And um, and that's our introduction, and that is the worldview. That's the the basis and the whole starting point of our existence, our worldview, who we are, how we were created, the God who created us, His relationship with us, and why He why created, he created us, yeah. us, what He is doing, and why He is doing it, and then. And that is Genesis. And it's so on the on the macro, there's kind of this overarching large picture. But then he is a God of of individuals. He created Adam and he created Eve. He created people and Mm -hmm. he created to have a relationship with them. And it's very specific. It's not just some. It is Abraham. It is Noah. It is in time and space. It is. 
uh, a very and and he gives it to us to to study as a, as a historical picture as a historical document and so uh, it's just it's it's a lot of fun so right yeah, now and it gives us confidence here we are in the 21st century this advanced technological age and yet human nature mm-hmm. and the fundamental human right. condition hasn't changed right. uh, it's still the same and, and that these same principles that God put in place in the in the book of Genesis we're talking about here his plan for humanity to draw out a people for mm-hmm. himself, mm-hmm. Uh, a love relationship that he would enjoy with each of us as human beings. And a love relationship requires a mutual choice. Mm-hmm. It requires that we must be able to choose God yeah. and, and so on. So we're, we're looking at some of these fundamental principles that, right. that come out of the book of Genesis. Now, Played we out. also get into some of the specifics because we talk about chapters 1 through 11 in the book of Genesis talk about God's dealings with the whole human race uh, in the big picture of the of the how the human race began early on to break into these two branches those that love God and sought after God and desire God acknowledge God's authority the true and living God and followed after God and those that did not they followed after another God or made themselves their own gods or created their own gods so we have this God is calling out of the human race, a people for him, so those who would choose him. And so we see that in chapters 1 through 11, that's the focus of the Bible narrative up to that point. And, and we talked about some individuals in that, in that particular era, that time period. But then in chapter 12, we picked up with this man. God focuses in, the story focuses in on a man named Abram, or Abraham as we come to know him. Abraham and Sarah, they call out of the land of the Chaldeans, the, the Ur of the Chaldeans, and they go across, and God calls him to leave his people, leave his family, that society, that that security, that uh, safe harbor, and called him to go to a place that God would show him and give to him. So we're starting to follow after Abraham and then Isaac and Jacob, and we'll get into some of that in our reading tonight. We pick up with Abraham and Sarah. Uh, and their son named Isaac, and, and some things that ha- go on in their life. But all of these principles, all of these people, as, St- as Stacy has pointed out, are are laying the foundation of knowledge and understanding of what is going on in the human race, in in human history, mm-hmm. that in the big picture. So we've got we've got their stories, and yet, then we also have some some of the big picture mm-hmm. and the broad sa- sa- scale of things, and even. Some of the ways that their story, the way the reason he picks up on Abraham, not only is he picks up on an individual to begin to trace individuals' lives and responses, reactions toward God, but these people are going to end up being crucial in the redemptive plan that God is going to carry out. Because we already know it, his redemptive plan centers in on one very special individual called the Messiah, mm-hmm. this Redeemer, this Savior. And so right now that we know right now, though, that this Messiah, this Redeemer, is going to come through the physical, biological lineage of Abraham mm-hmm. and Isaac, mm-hmm. Jacob. So so there's there's a lot of levels that we can look at these stories. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I, and I guess I was going to say earlier, just like so he, his big plan played out in the lives of individuals and and just like today he is still working out that plan he's still working through individuals uh you and me and will 
my son's here tonight. Uh, Nico William. <laughs> Will is in the studio as well. He's 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 a little upset that Grandpa didn't introduce William. My grandson is getting his uh, his radio uh, what is it chops. chops he's getting them in early now. Right. So but it, it speaks to Will. Like, how old are you now? Six years old. He's six, and he's going to be, be seven, seven soon. real soon. Yeah. And he likes to come to the radio studio. He likes to come be with us, but we're glad to have him, and he's in there here with us. He's going. Who knows? He might add some wisdom to the uh, to the program here through, as we move through it as well. But we are in Genesis chapter twenty-one tonight. We're starting off with Abraham and Sarah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we move on to talk about uh, Abraham's son Isaac. Uh, re- remember, now we talked about chapter fifteen last week. As a pivotal chapter where God begins to move from the whole human race, his attention down now, I'm going to carry out this work of redemption, this redemptive plan. I'm going to carry it out through your through your lineage, through your your descendants, Abraham. And and Abraham, this is when Abraham is married to Sarah, but they don't have any children. Mm-hmm. And so it's sort of an empty promise in a way. If you're Abraham, you're going, well, what do you mean, God? I don't even have any children. How am I going to have? And and he says, you're going to have a child. And I'm sure it wasn't for lack of trying. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that that, isn't that so like God? He's such a redeemer. (laughs) God's will done God's way, right? In God's time. Uh, And so he's 75 years old when Mm -hmm. Abraham gets this promise from the Lord that you're going to have a child and you're going to be the father of a great nation and uh, many nations, actually. He changes his name to Abraham, Mm -hmm. father of many nations. But he's going to be the father of the nation through which the Redeemer, the Messiah, Mm -hmm. comes. Mm -hmm. And figuratively or not only biologically through the people, the, the nation group, the people group of Israel, but he's going to be ahead of the, the nation of the people of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the big meaning of the word Israel, uh, it, it can mean Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, or it could mean the biological descendants of Jacob, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the so on. Group. Or it could mean the biggest, truest meaning is all of the people of God, Israel, those who have wrestled with God and, and won, those who have come to know God by faith and trust through the centuries, we are spiritual Israel. That's the truest, deepest meaning of the term. So when you're reading the Bible, as we mentioned last week even, when you see the word Israel, you have to ask yourself, you know, what is, what is that referring to? Is it talking about Jacob? that one individual whose name was changed to Israel, or is it talking about his descendants, the people of Israel, that that people group that grew out of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or is it talking about the biggest, truest sense of of the the people of faith, people who have come to know God uh, through the, the avenue of faith, trusting in God, longing for him, trusting in his goodness, that we have come to be a part of the people of God uh, throughout eternity. So we have that. I, I don't know. I guess we could go ahead and get into our... You did, mm-hmm. uh, Maybe I ought to mention one other thing, Stace. Um, you mentioned C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. and uh, that is a an appropriate thing today, yeah. November 22nd, 1963. Most of you may remember that in on this date, uh, and back in 1963, uh, shortly after noon, John F. Kennedy... 
was assassinated in the streets of Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, 1963, November 22nd. With just an hour, just, actually not even a full hour, um, less than an hour before Kennedy was killed mm-hmm. in Dallas, C.S. Lewis died mm-hmm. uh, in in England. Mm-hmm. Uh, this great uh, intellect, this great author, writer, uh, who was who is a atheist agnostic raised in atheism agnosticism who became a convert After kind of a reluctant convert yeah, actually he yeah. says if you want to read about c.s lewis read his autobiography surprised by joy surprised by joy by c.s lewis and you'll learn about him and his upbringing and how he came to faith uh he was finally cornered and caught by the the uh, hound of heaven he mm-hmm. he says and came to faith in Jesus Christ and became a tremendous um, author, writer, thinker, mm-hmm. apolo- uh, uh, apologetics in terms of defending of the faith, and just a, a, a brilliant, brilliant man. He died the, just shortly an hour before John F. Kennedy, and, of course, his death was overshadowed in the world news uh, by that other event, tragedy. Uh, but C.S. Lewis on this day, and you, Aldous Huxley mm-hmm. also died on this day, yes, which so, is a very interesting... Yeah. Aldous, uh, Aldous Huxley, an uh, English philosopher as well, author of Brave New World, probably what he's most known for. and uh, Brave, my Brave, Brave, Brave New, World, New, World. New World. Many of you have heard mm-hmm. of Aldous Huxley. Mm-hmm. He, he kind of anticipated the results of uh, author- authoritarianism, uh, you know, huge, all-powerful government. Uh, he predicted many of the things that we actually see in our own world today uh the idea of um, artificial births and mm-hmm. abortion and mm-hmm. the, so many of the the more negative things that we see uh he predicted those aldous huxley did uh so those three died on yeah. the same day and my old professor former not old well former uh peter kreeft wrote a book about about that it's very interesting so Do you remember the uh, title of it uh let's see i think it's a conversation with, I mean, it's it's a pretty Peter Kreeft, if you Google it, and um, K R E U F F or K-R-E-E-F-T. something. K R E E F T. F T. And I think it's something like a, a conversation with yeah. Lewis Kennedy. Lewis and Huxley. Kennedy and Huxley <laughs> all got together in the uh, foyer of heaven in <laughs> right. the waiting place, and they discussed with each other because they had very different worldviews. Oh, uh, very different. Yeah, each in for their sure. Own way, um, very interesting book yeah. to be to be sure. So uh, anyway, we mentioned C.S. Lewis with that in mind because I have in my hot little hand C.S. Lewis' final words, mm-hmm. not his physical words, but uh, on the day he died in November twenty second, nineteen sixty three, the December issue of the Saturday Evening Post was heading to press, and in it were the last words written by Lewis for publication. Uh, it was a, sor- a short opinion piece titled, We Have No Right to Happiness. And it could definitely have been written today. <laughs> it yeah. certainly should be read today. There are a few unsettling moments, typical of Lewis, that may cause uh, particularly women in this era to bristle, uh, whether it's insensitive, obtuse, unaware, or misunderstood. Uh, that's a discussion for another time. But he anticipates some of the m- many of the things that we are witnessing in this age and time that was way back in 1960s when uh, america was just beginning to uh, more officially throw off 
the the biblical worldview and the biblical legacy and heritage that had shaped this nation. It was when America began to, uh, with all of its um, demonstrations and burnings of uh, draft cards and you know women's rights and you know all these the radical isms that began to surface over these last thirty, forty, fifty years. Uh, that they have risen up, but but uh, Lewis sort of anticipated uh, some so many of the things that we are seeing today. In his article, we have no right to happiness, and uh, we'll talk about it a little later in light of Genesis chapters twenty-one through thirty-six. The point is, how many? I remember exactly when it started. At least when I think it started, Stacey, I, it was in the 1960s. I, I don't remember the exact day, but I remember when I started hearing McDonald's <laughs> advertisements on the TV, on the of course, radio. Of course there was advertisements. You deserve a break today. <laughs> all of a sudden, the whole point was we all should start. We all deserve things we deserve a break we deserve happiness we deserve this right and that right and this privilege and and that whole mentality of deserving Mm -hmm. Uh, and now it's all everywhere madison avenue and the advertising um society or uh, companies they're all behind the idea of advertising everything on the basis of what you deserve I remember as I was growing up as a young believer, I knew about my sin and my neediness. The last thing I ever wanted to ask God for was what I deserved. Uh, I knew it for sure. But here we are. We've grown up now to where one of the big problems we have as a society is this idea we're called a a culture of entitlement. We all deserve. Oh, all these young students that went to college, they, they deserve to have their debt abolished they deserve we all deserve this and deserve that and uh, so we'll talk a little bit about lewis article that final article he wrote so many years ago we have no right to happiness we don't deserve uh to be happy and we'll talk about it a little bit more in depth but it comes really particularly right out of the passages that we read tonight we're talking about the book of genesis it sets the stage for human uh, human human life for us today as well as it did back in those days and it we're laying the foundation so that you have an understanding uh, as a believer as a follower after jesus christ yes but also maybe you're just examining the claims of the of the book maybe you're just examining and considering the claims of jesus christ and who he was and and the god of the bible mm-hmm. well this these are fundamental points that the Bible points out truths about God, truths about what God is doing uh, in humanity with the human race. And I want to quickly, go ahead, kind of, and, and before our first, we go into the break, but just in terms of the that the reason I think that that can be such a dangerous um, philosophy to adopt or a dangerous worldview is because it is actually close to a truth and i think that that's all and c.s lewis's um famous the last battle the last book in his famous series the chronicles of narnia mm-hmm. that is um the key part is the character of shift um it is put out there to to look like aslan who is truth and the most dangerous of, uh, of gospels is the false gospel that looks most like mm, the yeah. real gospel. And in terms of what you deserve, I think the reason it's so dangerous is because on one hand, 
Um, we are all created in God's image. We are incredibly loved and far more valuable than you probably even imagine. Any of us, we can't imagine how dear to God we are, how much he loves us. Right, and so on one hand, you are valuable and loved and um, and worthy of care and kindness. Um, on the other hand, though, there's this, but, but, and this is what we forget. There is the, the sin nature. So you can't, and, and again, we want that. We were putting second things, ourself as God, as a first thing. But we are not, we are good. We are wonderful, created image, I mean, image bearers. But we are fallen and we are not God. We are selfish, irrevocable, irresistible tendency towards selfishness. And so only by putting God first and recognizing that do we actually realize our value in him. Mm -hmm. So until there's that humility and until there's that um, recognition of our nature apart from him, we we won't actually Mm -hmm. have happiness and so i guess i just wanted to temper that a little bit with um oh yeah it's a very mm -hmm. important truth because uh even as god even as satan tempted adam and eve in the garden they didn't absolutely out and out contradict what god said they said but is that what god really meant and then they sort of shaded it and shaped it to come close to the truth but really miss the truth. Right. And, of course, they miss the all, first things. And that's yeah. almost all the more dangerous because it sounds so nice. It sounds so polite and good, but that's all the more reason yeah. why it's so You're dangerous. trying to get the second good without yes. uh-huh. first going through the first good. And it's yeah. important to, you know, to really pull that out. Anyway. All right. We'll come back. We're going to finish and go on through the passages looking at uh, Abraham, at Sarah. We're going to look at Eliezer of Damascus. We're going to look at uh, Rebecca and Isaac uh, and uh, go on. Finally, we'll we'll end up talking a little bit even tonight about Jacob and his brother Esau. So we'll get through those chapters tonight and come back with our consideration of the book of Genesis here on The Bible Life. Stay with us. Is the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar? God made a great big world. That's what we're talking about here in the Book of Genesis, the Book of Beginnings in the Bible. So uh, we've just started last week. With uh, the week four last, with our first readings from the book of Genesis. This past week, we read chapters 21 through 36. So I guess, Stacey, we've, um, let's pick up with a little bit of what we covered in our Bible readings this past week. Again, folks, you can go to thebiblelive.com uh, anytime you want on your smartphone, your computer, your desktop, your laptop, whatever uh, apparatus you use, you can go and Go along with us, read through the Bible live uh, every year. And so uh, this past week, chapters 21 through 36 of Genesis, if you go to thebiblelive.com, you'll see the readings for this past week are there still. I'll re- they'll be replaced tonight. You'll see the readings for this coming week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. 
And, but you can go to the podcast and you can click on any of the readings of the past year. In fact, the, the entire Bible is there uh, program after program, a 15 to 20 minute reading from the scriptures each weeknight, the entire Bible every year. So let's go now to what we covered this past week. We started out, as we mentioned in chapter 12, the Bible turns from the big picture of God's redemptive plan for all of humanity and the central, uh, the, 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 the vital, most important event taking place every day in human history. Every day there are birthdays, there's soccer games, there's football games, there's conferences, there's wars. There's all kinds of things taking place Pandemics. all around planet Earth. <laughs> what? Pandemics. Pandemics, <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's right. Every kind of event going on from every level, from uh, family birthday parties and events and so on, to large international conferences and they have international consequences, elections and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. So all of these things are taking place. But the central event, the primary thing that is taking place in the middle of all these other events, every one of them, God is moving in every place at every level and he's revealing himself and drawing men and women to himself whether they are ambassadors and presidents and emperors and and people of high the, the you know high and mighty people of the world to the rich and the wealthy the poor to the lowly to children to God is calling men and women to himself and so that's what we see uh, in the in the book of Genesis the plan of God is to call out of the people out of the human race a people for himself i will be their god they will be my people and then in chapter 12 he turns he presents that theme that big major function that major purpose significance to human history and human existence and he turns to talk about an individual a man named abram all of a sudden out of out of the, all the human race he focuses in on this one man on his wife on their family and he begin he deals with them uh abraham is a believer in god he he has heard the stories as they've been passed down about creation, about how God created the human race, Adam and Eve, and, and these truths about the creative creation of uh, act and so on, the early, these have been passed down. Oral uh, history has been passed down uh, through generations and generations, generation after generation. And uh, Abraham knows about this, and he's a follower after the true and living God. And we're told that he is called to leave his uh, town, his family, his comfort zone, and I'm, God calls him to leave, and I will show you a place uh, that I will give to you, and you will be become the father of many nations. Now, Genesis chapter 12, we see the calling of Abraham and Sarah. In 12 through 15 and 16, we see God dealing with Abraham as he comes to know his God and, and, and is committed to following after the true God, the creator God, the creator of the world. And Abraham then uh, covenants with God to follow him. And God chooses him. And, and remember chapter 15, you pointed out last week, Stacey, uh, this this covenant where, where God walks between, he takes a heifer that's cut in half, butchered and cut in half, and, and, and a lamb and other animals, and God makes a covenant with himself. That I will, I am going to redeem humanity. I am going to call out a people for myself, and that He is going to keep both sides of the covenant, both as God and 
taking on flesh, he will keep the he will faithfully keep uh, the human aspect of that covenant for the to to bring about a, a a new race of humanity, the race of the redeemed, and so that that chapter fifteen is just absolutely. Yeah, and I want to just pause real quick beautiful. right there, yeah, because at the heart of covenant is what is trust, right? At the heart yes. of, a, of a covenant relationship is trust. Um, or as you, I mean, trust or faith. faith You're yes. putting your faith that in this person will do what they said they're going to. It's it's faith, and so. And, and let it, me add this mm-hmm. about faith because mm-hmm. that's one of our themes as well. Because we're talking about Abraham and this, the, what we're starting here is not only a biological descendancy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and a people group through whom God is going to bring about this this redemptive plan, Mm -hmm. but we're also talking about a spiritual nation of faith. Abraham is the first of of that that we're all a part of now, the the spiritual Israel, as we're told in the New Testament. But I I wanted to bring out the fact that uh, faith in the Bible is always related to the word obedience, faith obedience. Mm -hmm. Faith without obedience, as James tells us, is dead. Mm -hmm. If you have obedience without faith, it, it's simple legalism. Mm-hmm. It's just keeping rules. You know, the, so faith without works is dead. Works or obe- obedience without faith, obedience as an end within themselves, is just legalism. I'm trying to earn my relationship to God. Mm-hmm. But faith is uh, our faith always expresses itself in obedience and trust. Right. In, in other in words, God. it's putting your trust. It's living to, out. You're living it out. Right. As as if who God says He is and what He says He's going to do, as if that's true. And so you actually make decisions and choices based on God is that covenant keeper. He as as if I really did make that covenant with God. Exactly. And, and I guess I just wanted to. And so then all along. Um, and at the heart of, and I just love so many, it, it's relational. So it's, it's a relationship. Covenant takes two parties. And so throughout, you see this covenant with Jacob and, and often in marriage. I mean, just to make kind of the connection, and we talked mm-hmm. about Lewis and, um, and society, and in particular with women and with men. I mean, that is a, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, there is, there is this man woman kind of tension. And I just, so. And God sets the perfect example of what that's supposed to be, and 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 the importance of even marriage. And we look at you know in this in this section of Genesis, we see Rebecca and how she comes to uh, marry Isaac, mm-hmm. and um, is that, right, yeah, and um, and so just kind of keeping in mind that um, that faith, that trust that faith basis of a covenant relationship of which marriage is a picture of um, the, the, the great um, yeah. marriage between God yeah, and is, his people. Christ is known as the groom. We are the bride right, of Christ, right, the church. Right. And it, that's the picture of marriage. Right. And we that, see that a lot in that's Genesis. That's why marriage is, we consider as believers to be sacred, sacred not yes. only because of the depth of the con- of the covenant between two a man and a woman, two people, right. but because it's a reflection yes. of that all-encompassing covenant right. of God Himself with the with humanity, right? Which at the heart beings. of too, in terms of the results of that, is mm-hmm. the fruitful and multiply. Exactly. Um, so well, it, there, in every as we read through the book of Genesis and even through the rest of the Bible, 
almost every relationship, every incident, every war, every battle, every every story that we're told from Daniel in the lion's den to Jonah and the great fish and the Noah and the flood and every every story over and over and over again it reflects these basic fundamental truths about God's love, the problem of sin, the solution that God is bringing about through his redemptive plan through the Messiah and then the choice the choice that every human being is making all through life that do we choose and it's not a choice to advance ourselves that's not it's not entitlement i'm getting my rights like i said the last thing any of us really want if we really understand anything the last thing anything any of us really want is what we deserve but in within the redemptive plan and the the sacrificial the the substitutionary atonement that god has made for us through his son Jesus, the Messiah, there then uh, he has announced our worthiness. He has pronounced our worth, and he is committed to our— but we come, we come into that experience through denying ourselves, mm-hmm. by denying ourselves, dying to self, and living, taking up our cross daily, as Jesus put it, and, and living for him and by him and through him. So let's go—we're talking again about Abraham. Uh, uh, let's go—Abraham was told— Look, folks, I've got to tell you this. This is a little bit of a disclaimer. Every verse of the Bible, if you read the book of Genesis, almost every verse has some wonderful, exciting truth that if you get into it, just studying the details, everyone, you could, I mean, you could make, you could study this book. <laughs> you could stay a year on one verse if you wanted to. I mean, you really can, literally. But so we're, we we can't do that kind of attention in this program. So we're just kind of giving the big picture and giving some incidences. Now, we're talking about Abraham and Isaac. Remember now, Abraham is promised that he's going to be the father of a great nation. Um, well, he doesn't have any children, and he's 75 years old, and already too old to have children. And and uh, he get, it is uh, 25 years later before that promise comes true. Mm-hmm. And he he gave up. Abraham gave up on God. He thought, well, maybe I got to help God out a little bit. Uh, remember, Sarah is uh, Abraham is ninety nine, and Sarah is a hundred. Uh, it, it, later, when they have their son named Isaac, but but at age eighty six, Abraham says, well, maybe we could help God out. And remember, he and Sarah made a trip down into Egypt. Early in uh, Genesis, I believe it's in chapter, what chapter is it, when they make their little journey down into um, into Egypt. And while he's there, remember, he gets in trouble because he calls uh, Sarah his sister uh, instead of his wife because he doesn't want to, you know, he, he's afraid that she is very beautiful, evidently. And he thinks that uh, they may kill him uh, to get his wife, Sarah. And so... Uh, while they're down in Egypt, he tells his wife, Sarah, if they ask you, uh, be sure to let them know that, that you're my sister. Now, uh, that was a deception, no doubt about it. Although we do have to remember that Sarah, according to, I believe it's chapter 17, we found out that Sarah is actually his half-sister. They share the same father, Terah, but not the same mother. So... Um, it's kind of a – some people try to kind of save Abraham from being called a total liar in this situation. But I'll just tell you what it, that's what it was like. That that was the situation. 
Whether he had that in mind or not, we don't know. But he says that Sarah is his half-sister. Well, anyway, they don't have a child yet, and so they decide that uh, there is a servant girl given to Abraham and Sarah when they leave Egypt, and her name is Hagar. It is thought that probably Hagar was given as a gift to Abraham and Sarah, that she became Sarah's handmaiden, uh, servant girl, from out of Egypt. She's an Egyptian woman. And so they decide that they're going to help God out. Since Sarah can't have a child, she's a little too old, they'll have a child with Hagar. And they do. They work out this plan. And a young boy named Ishmael is born uh, to to Hagar and Abraham. Now, it doesn't work out well. It doesn't turn out well, as most of our plans don't when we try to help God out. Uh, but, but Ishmael be, grew to become actually the head of the nation of uh, what we would call today, today the, the Islamic nations, the Arabic nations of the world. So, uh, And it turned out to be a great conflict between him and uh, Isaac, who came to be the son of promise. Now, at the age of 100, Sarah gives birth to this child. Finally, uh, the promise of God comes to fruition and the name Isaac means laughter because when Sarah was first told she was going to have a child, uh, she thought it was so funny that she laughed. <laughs> and so they named the child Isaac, laughter. Uh, anyway, listen to this. This is the, really the, the part. It, it's kind of hard hitting here. Uh, when we come to chapter 22, Abraham is told to take this son of promise this child who was who was the he was the culmination of the promises the covenant that Abraham had made with God himself and he said i want you to take that that child to a mountain where i will show you and you're going to offer him up as a sacrifice can you believe it i mean here this strikes at the very heart of Abraham's yeah. understanding of God and his understanding of God's covenant with yeah. him. Mm-hmm. And yet still, Abraham is willing to do it. Still. Mm-hmm. And we're told later on in the book of Hebrews that in chapter 11, the, the great chapter of faith, we're told that Abraham, it's mentioned there that Abraham did that pure, purely and totally out of faith and trust that somehow he was going to obey God and trust God, even if it, it such an extreme way, because he was trusting that God evidently was going to bring his son back from the dead, that that was his faith and trust. And to be honest, in a way, he did bring him because Abraham was set and ready to obey God, his God, and trust God. And so we read about that in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 22 uh, on Mount Mor- Moriah. They go to a place, uh, the the place is named the Lord will provide. And God indeed does stay his hand. He keeps him from, uh, he's willing to sacrifice his son. And and in his heart of hearts, he did. And yet God said, no, don't do that. And God provided a lamb, a ram that could be given in his stead. All of this again, pointing toward the redemptive plan of God is substitutionary atonement. That ram, that lamb that was caught and sacrificed in Isaac's place is the picture of God's redemptive plan that there would be a lamb of God who would be sacrificed on our behalf. Again, as I said, over and over again, in story, in pictures, 
in, in so many ways, uh, the redemptive plan of God, the substitutionary atonement is highlighted. God is going to send a Savior, one who would become the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So Abraham's uh, oldest servant then after that, uh, Abraham's oldest servant is named Eleazar of Damascus. Uh, and Eleazar is sent, he is commissioned to go out and find a wife for young Isaac. Isaac doesn't have uh, a wife. He's not married. And, of course, he's he's got to continue the lineage, the blessing. And so they send him back to his fathers, back to the people that love God and know about God. And they find for Isaac, they're looking for Isaac, a wife of, out of the community of believers. So he goes back up to uh, uh, Terah and, and to uh, at the head of the Euphrates River to find a wife for this young son, Isaac. And this, the reason I mentioned Eliezer of Damascus, if Abraham dies without a, an heir, without a son, Eliezer of Damascus becomes the heir which is a very interesting picture. Eliezer of Damascus. Uh, Stacy, tell us about Eliezer. He, he becomes a picture of a very important aspect of God's nature, and he becomes a picture of uh, the function of, that God had in, in redemption. Mm-hmm. Can you tell folks that? Or well, I, yeah, I mean, I think it I'm trying of... to stop talking and get you to talk <laughs> in a bit. I think it kind of harkens harkens back to kind of the relationship, and Eleazar clearly had a a really good relationship with Abraham, Mm -hmm. and uh, and and it was a loving one, and it was and it was one that I think uh, ultimately wanted good for Abraham and Mm -hmm. for his household, and he must have known, I'm sure, you know, about. The covenant, and I'm sure Abraham told him, and mm-hmm. Eleazar believed it. And I would say he was Godward. He was a man of faith as well. And um, and he goes out, and he wants to see this. And uh, and it's just a really beautiful, I think, image of. I mean, he has kind of adopted a part of Abraham. He has mm-hmm. kind of become mm-hmm. a part of his family so much so that he goes out and uh, and uh, it, it's kind of an image. He's of, told he's go, he's told to go. Yeah. Back to their hometown, their home family, find a bride for Isaac. For Isaac, yes, and uh, a bride. And if he does that, yeah. Isaac then is going to replace him right. in a sense. In a sense, but at the same time, if if that is, if uh, he really wants good, um, then he must believe that the replacement, so to speak, of him is mm-hmm. is a lesser thing than seeing. Isaac married mm. and being fruitful and multiplying and continuing this line of eventually what will be God's people. And so in a way that I love, uh, he is a Holy Spirit type figure. He is Without a doubt, going yeah. out into as, as a kind of a part of Abraham in with, with Abraham's blessing and with his um, kind of mind and his, uh, his, uh, effort. He's going out and he's seeking um, for the betterment of of God's people. Right. We're and told in Scripture, as you mentioned before, that we are called in, in some portions of Scripture the bride of Christ. Yeah. We, the church, those who know and love God and follow after God, we're called the bride of Christ. A- and the Holy Spirit 
is now loosed in the world. The Holy Spirit is working in and through the world and with, within and through God's people. The Holy Spirit is working to call men and women to Christ. He is, he is out uh, in a sense. The Holy Spirit is the agent of the new birth. He is the one, uh, as we're told in John chapter 3, uh, the Holy Spirit is, is the agent of the new birth. He, he calls men and women to conversion. And so Eleazar of Damascus, this servant of Abraham, is a picture of the work of, of the Holy Spirit. He's, going, he's finding a bride for the son of the father, um, for Isaac. And he goes up to their, their, their hometown, as you would say, their home village, their home area. And he, this beautiful love story is laid out. He's, he says a prayer. I don't know how to find the right woman. <laughs> how do I find the right one? And so he says, God, when I, when I pull my camels up to the, uh, he's, he's made this long journey. His camels is lo- are loaded with gifts and with personal items and so on. He comes to the, and he says, if there is a woman there, if there's someone who, who offers not only to give me water, but, but offers as well to give water to drink for all my camels as well, then that will be the one. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a shot in the dark if there ever was one. I mean, really. Uh, but sure enough, she shows up. At, he shows up at the water hole at the well, and he asks this girl if she would bring him a drink. And she says, not only that, I'll give you off of water to your camels as well. He must have been and so, so that was Rebecca. <laughs> that was Rebecca, and that's how their romance began. I'm sure he had... Don't you think uh, Eliezer had fun telling Abraham and Isaac that story? Yeah. I bet he had a ball telling yeah. them that story. Yeah. And later and, and then later on Isaac and Rebecca that would be when people said, How'd you two meet? You know, they would say, <laughs> Oh yeah, it was so funny. My you know, I, I, I it's one of those kind of things. I, I, I can see it now. But uh, so that's how Rebecca comes into the life, into the picture. Uh Eliezer, uh, I'm sorry, Isaac uh meets Rebecca and uh, they uh, hit it off, and uh, she is given the choice as to. Oh, there's so many details, and I'm I'm trying to tell you, folks, every detail of every one of these stories. Uh, there are blessings, there are wonderful truths in every verse, almost. So I want you to remember that that uh, that can be taking place. So we can't go into that kind of depth here, but here we have I, Rebecca comes back, and he finds great comfort in his wife, Rebecca. Uh, when he loses his mother, when Sarah dies mm-hmm. at the age of 127. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Rebecca and Isaac, Isaac never leaves Israel. He never leaves Canaan, I mean, interestingly enough. Yeah. He never left um, Canaan. So uh, Isaac and, and uh, Rebecca are there. Uh, I don't know if there's much more. They have two sons. Uh, their sons' names are uh, Jacob and Esau, or Edom, uh, which means red. Uh, it's like the, it sounds like the Hebrew word for hair, and his nickname is Red. So I'm guessing he might have had red hair, you know, as we call guys Red, you know. But Jacob and Esau, and we'll come back and talk about them in just a moment. Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob is on the scene, and we'll talk about how did Jacob become so prominent because he was actually not the firstborn. His son Esau was born before him. They were twins, born together, but he came. Esau was born first. Mm-hmm. So we'll come back and tell about that and how Jacob became uh, the son of promise. He becomes one of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then we move on to his 12 sons. We'll come back and finish that discussion in our third segment in just a little bit. Don't you dare go away. Stay with us. 
and the Bible Live. We'll be right back. The river running by, the sunset and the Books of Moses. Now, 6 and 7, I only know Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I only know five books that we think of. I'm not sure who these guys were thinking of there, but you never know. They might have uh, uh, I might, there might be some other. Take it up with other... Toots and the Maytals. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll take it off with the, with the music group. We'll have to track them down, I think. <laughs> Good deal. Well, we are back. This is our final segment, so we better get to moving. We've been talking about chapters 21 through 36 of Genesis. We've been talking about Abraham and Sarah. We talked about them going down into Egypt. How they, He called Sarah his sister to keep from getting in trouble down there. Evidently, she, beauty has its price, right? I don't know anything about that myself, but Stacy might know a little bit about that. <laughs> uh, but beauty has its price, and but Abraham and Sarah survived that. They come back uh, to... And then they have the same thing happen with a, a man named Abimelech. Who Abimelech is actually not a name, in my understanding. Abimelech is a title of of um, a kingship of royalty among the tribes and nation group people groups of that era and of that uh, of that location. Um, but they have the same thing kind of happens with uh, Abimelech. He has to again try to get his wife to say she's his sister, uh, so that they don't. But in every one of these stories, folks, if you read them, they have a little bit for us. There's something Stacy was asking me off the air. Is, is God trying to establish some truth about marriage in some of these passages? And uh, I, I, I suspect that he is indeed, uh, but it's not overtly. It's not said clearly. The reason I'm doing this is because I'm trying to straighten out your understanding of marriage. But um, some of that is taking place. But then we got down to after Abraham. Uh, we talked about his son Isaac's birth. Uh, his name is Laughter. Isaac, uh, Eliezer of Damascus, is a picture of the Holy Spirit who goes out and finds a bride uh, for Isaac back among his uh, people, people who know and love God. Uh, and so uh, Rebecca becomes this bride that Eliezer brings back to Isaac. And they first see each other across the field. <laughs> they're coming back home. They're making their way. And Isaac is out in the field, and he sees Eliezer coming, returning home with his uh, caravan, I guess, or his camels. And he first sees his wife. And it says they fell in love, uh, love at first sight, and she was a great comfort to him in the death of his mother, Sarah. Uh, and so then we come to Isaac and uh, Rebecca. They have two sons. Jacob and Esau. Now Esau is the firstborn of the two sons. Uh, his his nickname is Edom, which means red, uh, and he becomes the head of the nation of the Edomites that you'll hear about later in the, in the scriptures. But what happens is that Edom, Esau, the firstborn, does not value the things of God. He does not value the covenant relationship that his grandfather Abraham had. And at his at his grandfather Abraham's death, uh, they were they the uh, traditional plate or dish uh, at the funeral was 
uh, a bowl of porridge. Mm. Uh, and he uh, gave that up. He didn't value the things of God, the, the covenant relationship. And uh, he sold his birthright and so on. And But, but, but uh, Jacob did. Jacob valued those things, not to the degree he should or wanted to, maybe, maybe in a shallow way. And we see Jacob begins his relationship with God, but he it takes him probably 20 to 25 years to become strong in his faith. But he does value the things of God, and therefore he gets the birthright, which means he becomes the one with a, a, a double um, blessing. He uh, he gets a double inheritance uh, as the the birthright, and also he uh, gets his father's blessing by putting um, by kind of deceiving his father, putting a, a wool garment on his arms to feel like he's hairy, like his brother, and uh, and changing his voice a bit and so on. So Jacob then gets the blessing and the birthright from his father, and then has to flee from uh, flee from. Uh, his home because Esau is very, very angry at him for what he did. And he has to flee for his life and goes back up to where the home of, of Rebecca back up there where he meets his uncle named Laban who takes advantage of him for 20 years. He has to work under Laban's uh, uh, influence uh, and he's deceived in many ways. He himself has deceived his brother, but he becomes deceived himself. So he learns about the other side of these matters. Now, I do want to point out one thing and get your point on this, Stacy. One interesting thing about Jacob, though, his trickery, his that he he somehow gets the blessing, he gets the birthright, a titular head of the family, and so on. Important in the light of God's covenant with Abraham and Isaac, but he goes back to his people group up in the north. Um, what was I going to say? The interesting thing about their relationship is Rebecca knew it mm-hmm. all along. Yeah. God revealed to Rebecca early, even before the children were born, that she was going to have twins and that the older, older would the become younger. the servant mm-hmm. of the younger. Yeah. Which which is really remarkable. Through the years I've 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 wondered about that. Isn't that a that's a fascinating situation because Rebecca was also called upon to make some very uh, you know, uh, 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 Esau was Jake was um, Isaac's favorite. Mm-hmm. Isaac liked Esau because he was an outdoors guy. He was a hunter. Uh, he, you know, nice. rough and tumble. Really? He was a strong mm-hmm. outdoor guy. And Isaac was a little bit more of a Jacob, mama's boy, a little, a little bit. bit more of mm-hmm. close to his mom. And and she has to do things several times. She cooks up the beans, for example. Yeah, isn't it that 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 buys him the birthright that he uses to right. buy the birth. Uh, and, and she is the one that counsels him to go up north to flee from her brother, mm-hmm. uh, from she's, his brother Esau. Yeah, she is who encouraged um, Jacob to do what he did. She knew the, the whole story yeah, ahead she, of time. Mm-hmm. It, and it, and it, I've always been fascinated by that, n- knowing her knowing Behind, I don't know if she. We're not even told if she told Isaac mm-hmm. that what God had told her, right. but but she acts in this whole episode. Yeah. She's acting from another base of knowledge that that Jacob didn't have, uh, nor her husband Isaac, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But she's. 
I, I'm wondering if you've ever thought about that or given that any particular thought from a woman's point of view. Well, I don't know about woman's point of view necessarily. Well, except for, I mean, just that unique, that special kind of relationship, I guess, between a, a mom and what she understands of her children, even I, as I, I'm early assuming as she loves Esau. Uh, Esau. Right, right. right? Well, and, and maybe that's the idea is that sometimes the loving thing isn't necessarily what's going to be what the child wants, uh-huh. you know, or what would seemingly be the the feel good thing for that, you know, so maybe for Esau, the best possible thing for him would to not put him in this position. Um, well, because he didn't have the heart for it. Right. I mean, and, and I think the, Rebecca hmm. would ultimately have to, to believe that whatever God willed and whatever God desired to see come about is always for the best um, for the group and for the individual. So, I mean, I think that she probably would have viewed what she was doing as the loving thing, both for Esau and for Jacob. Um, and then, but that also, I, I just, you know, that does bring about, you talked about man's free will. And this is one of those moments where, where um, you know, is it God's providence and sovereignty or is it Rebecca's interference and her free will and making it come about? And I guess it's, it's both. <laughs> yeah, it, that's, w- that's one of the great pictures of this is uh, God never, ever um, abuses the free will of anyone. And yet we always have to remember in the scriptures, when you see God act in these sovereign ways, quite often he's acting and working through men and or women who have given God that right. Mm -hmm. They have given their lives to God and they've said, God, act through me, speak through me. And so that's something we have to remember that the people of God, once we come into the family of God, we become not only children of God, but we are servants of God. Mm-hmm. And we now have a part. We can now, let's put it that way, we have the incredible, awesome privilege not only of being God's children, but being God's servants. Mm-hmm. He gives us a place of real importance and function within his redemptive plan. That's an exciting mm-hmm. thing to know. And, of course, we see in this particular instance, uh, she, Rebecca carries out her role. She gives... She gives very clear advice and counsel and probably helps Jacob survive mm-hmm. this early experience. Right. And it's in this 20-year period that Jacob grows in his faith. Right. He, yeah. he starts out, uh, he, has, uh, he has this picture of, of uh, the, the ladder that goes to heaven and the angels coming up and down, Jacob's ladder. And he says, if you'll, if you'll take care of me, if you'll prosper me, I'll follow you. And, and and he he takes these baby steps. He keeps taking these steps of faith, and God keeps coming through and acting in in his life and through him. And it's not because he's such a great guy either. Right. Jacob is. Right. He's he's like any of us. Like he's an, weak. And, yeah. and he's manipulative. Manipulative. And he's tempted to try and grab and take things into his own hands and mm-hmm. his own control, but he at the end still submits. Yeah. At the end, he comes to faith. He comes to that place of surrender. surrender in yeah. chapter 28. We find that he has he's returning back to uh, he's gone up to Padan Aram to live with his uncle Laban and to find a wife from among their people. He comes with two wives. He gets deceived. He he loves uh, uh, Rachel, Rachel, but he gets deceived. And he's given Leah. Mm-hmm. So then he has to work seven more years for, for Leah, Leah. <laughs> for Rachel. to Rachel. <laughs> 
And then he has to work six more years to get to build up his own wealth and his own uh, and God prospers him. Remember the miracle of the goats, the speckled goats and the you yeah. know, this. Mm-hmm. And, and so God does. God keeps his promise so that on his trip back down uh, on his trip down from Padana Ram down back down to his people. He stops at a place called Bethel, mm-hmm. house of God. And God speaks to him and meets him there. And he is uh, he has uh, he has also another. Oh, let me see. Now maybe I'm getting ahead of my place. That's at Bethel on the way up to Padamaran. Uh, God meets him and, and speaks to him, and he says, "If you'll if you'll take care of me and, and prosper me, then I will follow you." But on his way back down is when he comes. Um, he lives twenty years up there with his uncle, and on his way back down, he on the night before he goes back and he meets his brother again. Now, the last time he saw his brother, his brother had threatened to kill him. Mm-hmm. That's why he had to flee up north. And so now he's he's across the river from his brother, and God meets him at this place. And they, they're al- he's in his camp alone, and he is wrestling. He spends the night wrestling with a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is just the story That's as one we're of my told. Favorite. For some reason, I just love, I love that image. I mean, it's, just, it's one of my favorite like mm-hmm. getting to actually wrestle with God. <laughs> I mean, who? It's it's a we all do it. We all do it at least mentally and uh-huh. emotionally mm-hmm. all the time. But that physical. It's it's a picture. God, uh, Jacob has been wrestling with God for twenty year, twenty right. years. Yeah, he's been struggling with that yeah. commitment, with that giving up, with yeah. surrendering his will and his life to God. Mm-hmm. And, and he's been and and finally on that night he wrestles with and his his name is changed from Jacob meaning deceiver or, or tricker, his name is changed to Israel, meaning you have, for you have struggled, you have wrestled with God and won. And so uh, that is, again, I would mention that truth, that when you hear the name Israel in the Bible, and it's prominent, it's everywhere, all the way through Old and New Testaments, you have to ask yourself, is this talking about that man, Jacob, named Israel? Mm-hmm. Or is it talking about the people group, the nation, the people group that came, his descendants. Now, this isn't entirely the people uh, uh, that became part of Israel. Yes, the, he had his 12 sons, and we're going to read about them. And Joseph goes down to Egypt and so on, the 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, but remember, it's never entirely biological or genetic. There are all kinds of people who marry into mm-hmm. the nation, the people group of Israel. Ruth. Uh, 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 Esther, uh, Esther, others that they're that are not them. Now Esther was Jewish. Xerxes, I guess. Yeah, there, other, there were others <laughs> that that come in the the um, the, the harlot in, in Jericho. Rahab, yeah. Um, Rahab. Rahab. Thank you. <laughs> uh, others and, and others not so prominent, but I give those as examples. There were many people who were not genetically tied to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They they marry into they by faith they come into the nation of Israel, because Israel in this biggest sense means the people of God, people who have come to know the true and living God. Out of every race, every tribe, every language group, men and women, young and old, uh, boys and girls, they they have come. All who have come, we are now today, as Apostle Paul tells us in in the New Testament, we are Israel. We are we've been grafted in now. Uh, uh, as followers of the Messiah, from the if we are if we come to Christ through uh, come to God through faith in Jesus uh, of the tribe of Judah, mm-hmm. we are 
tribal designation is Judah. We have become part of Judah because it is Christ who has brought us into Israel, into the nation. of. So you have to always ask yourself, what does this name Israel mean in this particular verse in this context? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and that's important because sometimes it does change the meaning of your understanding of who God is and what he's doing and how he is working by your understanding of that word in a given context. So uh, Israel becomes the name that God has given to Jacob. It means uh, you, you have wrestled with God in one, and now we're going to look at the children of Israel. Uh, they become this people group, this nation group, as they go down. Uh, after Jacob's experiences now, we're going to talk about his 12 sons. Uh, Jacob has his 12 sons, and they become part. Uh, uh, they become a, a people group a clan, not only a family, but a clan of people. And there's going to be a famine in the land, and 70, of, or, 70 or 72 of Jacob's in his, his clan go down into Egypt. Mm-hmm. And out of that, then, after 400 years, they have become a great nation, a great you know, a horde, a great crowd of people, mm-hmm. uh, many thousands of people uh, coming out of Egypt under Moses' leadership. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. So there you see the that is at least the the journey that we're on. Yeah. Uh, when Jacob uh, tries to leave Laban, he returned to Canaan. Uh, it's very interesting that when they finally did return to Canaan, Rachel stole from her father Laban's household in chapter 31 Rachel fold, uh, stole a small house gold a uh, household idol uh, in other words a, go- a false god a small wooden or metal idol called teraphim and they thought they were thought to protect the home and give wise advice uh, and, and and obviously totally absolutely against God's laws uh, but they she stole those from that household we're not told why no motive is given necessarily, um, b- but they took the head of a child sometimes or of a, another person that was thought to be godly, and they shrunk it and tarred it, and it was made an idol. That was, um, And see, we see that practice in that particular culture, those godless cultures in that era, not only to that era, but even into the time of Jesus, of John the Baptist. Remember, they mm-hmm. cut off his head. That was the idea on a platter mm-hmm. that he was a prophet of God, and they were. It wasn't just vengeance. I want to be mean to him. Mm-hmm. There was some religious significance to that. I understand from my Jewish uh, connection. People who read the story from that Jewish perspective, that they could see that there was some element of that uh, idol, false god worship, even in that, in those cruel incidences. So uh, we see that happen here. The, all kinds of little incidents, little little t- things that take place that have a, a, a real deep uh, significant meaning and teaching for us as the people of God. Well, and I think what it does is it juxtaposes what is what is the false the false gospel, the false, you know, and 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 then God is clearly trying to define out that is false, this is true. That is deception. That is manipulation. I am promise. I am worthy. I am trust. And constantly, you're trying. You're seeing. 
um, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac trying to, Rebecca, take matters Rachel into their own Leia. hands. Rachel and Leah get in the fight. Leia, right, and take. Uh, who re- can have the most children? Yeah. Yes, and kind of revert to what the world, sort of, or what the nature, what, they, what their selfishness would want to do up against what God is doing. And he's constantly, I think, saying, and I think at the heart of Jacob, this goes back to the very beginning, the what uh-huh. we deserve. Um, after Jacob wrestles with God and struggles with him face, you know, face to face and comes out and uh, one who struggles with God and who won, he changes the, the, the name of that place or doesn't change it, but he names it Peniel, which means face of God. For as Jacob said, I have seen God face to face and yet my life has been spared. And that comes with an understanding. He knows. He's understanding he a little knows. bit more about grace, yeah, isn't right, he? Right, exactly. He God's knows undeserved that, favor. Right. Yeah. He knows full well that you see God face to face and that we're, un- we're unworthy. No one survives we, that. Nobody yeah. did, and yet God, and yet he, sur- he survived and he knows life is not what he deserves, and yet he mm. hasn't. So I think that Jacob really roots into um, he in, into Israel as a people uh-huh. that humility and that gratitude of a of a of an all powerful God who is just and yet who's also loving. And, oh yeah, and it is so beautiful too because. Mm-hmm. He is actually a transformed man. You can right. see that in his character, yes. in Esau, the decisions he, he makes. Yes. You know, they seek wisdom. So he, he asks God, right. do we go down into Egypt right. or not? Right. And he, he, hum- he mm-hmm. consults with God. He doesn't just jump out on his own. Right. And even the humility that he comes back to um, with Esau. And he is humble, yes. and he gives him gifts, and and there's re, re and Esau forgives and him. And Esau forgives him. Can you him. believe and it? That's amazing. Right, reunion and reconciliation um, when he approaches relationship with humility. And I think that's a very important thing you bring up, Stacy, because through all of these stories, now as we're starting to look at God's working with Abraham and Sarah, and with Isaac, and you know the. And they lie when they go down into Egypt. He lies when he comes back mm-hmm. to the king of Abimelech that she's my sister, she's mm-hmm. not my wife. Even Isaac has an episode of that. He has, he meets another king, Abimelech, of, mm-hmm. and he says, Rebecca is not my wife, she's my sister. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's So I guess I guess what I get uh, gather out of all of that is what you're saying is that God is, like we see in that covenant, he walked through the, those animal pieces himself. Right. He is going to keep this covenant that he's made with himself, right. and he's going to do it. Now, despite he doesn't us, abuse. D- he does not abuse the free will right. Right. Yep. of these men and women because they have given, but they, they have given themselves to him. They have put themselves in his hands By choice. without even really truly knowing what it meant, yeah, the full right. extent of how he was going to do and what right. he was going to do with them, right. in them, and through them. It's just like us today. Right. Now, and God has saved us. Right. And that's the juxtaposition part of it. I mean, because at the end of the day, we're all putting our trust and our faith in something. Um, and so God is saying, I am the only one worthy of it. It's not the amount of faith. It's the object of the faith that matters. And he himself is it's the worthy. object of our faith. See you next Sunday night, folks, back here on The Bible Live. God bless you. Good night. The Bible Live is dedicated to helping restore the Bible to our culture. Mailing address is P.O. Box 18888. 
That's box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. Hear the entire Bible every year on The Bible Live, weeknights at 930 on this great station. Then join Soapy every Sunday evening at 9 o'clock for fun, inspiration, and valuable prizes on The, the Bible, Bible Live Quiz Show. Show. Visit our website, BibleLive.com. That's BibleLive.com for more information about Soapy and the Bible Live broadcast. You may also order materials at the website and make tax-deductible donations to help minister to our military personnel and broadcast the entire Bible every year to America and the world. 